Hello from my house to yours. Welcome to EMS at Sea Level. Today's guest is John Mitchell, CEO and President of the IPC. John, thanks for joining me. Um, we won't we won't do too much of an introduction today because I think everybody knows you. First of all, thank you for taking part in our recent piece on um, component shortages. I was blown away by how much engagement we got from people on that um, topic. And just recently, I put a poll out to find out when people thought this issue was going to end. And um, the bulk of the votes were 2022, but I was surprised to get quite a few for 2023. So, Yeah, thank you for having me. And you're right that it's it's the top of mind issue for the mm. industry, you know, and actually the world. I mean, it's it's really it's not just the electronic supply chain. It's really every, it seems like just about every supply chain, no matter what you try to get. I mean, I was uh, trying to, this is probably unrelated, but uh, we're at uh, IPC Summercom and uh, I tried to order some nachos and they're like, sorry, we don't have any tortilla chips. We can't get them. And I'm like, what, how does that happen? Mm. <laughs> so, so there's, yeah, there's supply chain issues at, in every industry, but uh, obviously we're feeling it uh, very, uh, poignantly with uh, the electronics industry. Yeah, it's a big challenge, isn't it? And, um, you know, I think there, when I look through people's response on that, there are a few things that have come out and some of them I want to tackle today. One is the need for visibility and digital transformation in the supply chain. And we've talked a lot about digital uh, transformation in terms of manufacturing, but it's becoming increasingly important um, and a lot of people that I've spoken to particularly CEOs of EMS companies are concerned about how this crisis will end obviously they want it to end but will it end in a massive inventory overhang um, are we at risk because of double orders you know what what does the end of it look like and will it be will it be gradual how do you see that and how do you see digital transformation playing a better role in that so we don't risk too much overhang? You know, if, if we could uh, get as advanced as some companies are in their uh, adoption of, you know, just better digital communication of, of every, literally everything involved with the manufacturing process. So you can understand your orders, you understand your inventory, you understand how your throughput and all of that, you know, and so it, 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 I think it will help for sure, uh, but it's going to be a long and gradual process because it's not something that just happens overnight either. There's investment that needs to be made. And, uh, you know, on IPC's part, we're, we're doing a lot with what we call a factory of the future initiative. Mm. We're seeing great adoption uh, on that. You know, so CFX uh, has been really strongly adopted even throughout the pandemic, which is, you know, frankly, uh, COVID-19 has been an accelerant for um, you know the adoption of more some digital transformation because people had to, um, but we're also seeing some very new standards activities coming out. So we have standards underway in cybersecurity, the first digital twin standard, uh, component authentication, firmware standards. There's you know all of these things are being worked on and coming here to a theater near you. Uh, yeah, you go. Yeah. So, so there's a lot going on. Uh, so so while there's a lot going on, it's still going to take a while. Frankly, uh, you know, Europe is leading the way in the digital transformation. Asia is close behind. And North America really is still uh, show me the benefit type of discussion as opposed yeah. to, you know, so it's, 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 it's interesting. And I, and I really think North America needs to really step up or they're going to be in trouble. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there. And that's, you know, it's an interesting analogy. You, you talk about show me the benefit and it's almost like show me the money. Um, show and it to me. I, <laughs> yeah, I always refer to it, you know, when I'm writing about this as the digital dividend. And I think people have struggled to communicate, particularly those suppliers in the industry have struggled to communicate what the dividend is um, because, you know, it's it's better quality, it's better efficiency, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I think a lot of companies, particularly companies that are led by quarterly results, need to be able to say, we're going to invest, you know, a million dollars in this and we're going to save $75,000 a year over here or something like that. Um, and that's proved, I think that's proved a challenge. And then when you look at perhaps some of those German engineering companies that have got 50, 70 years of history in the industry, everything they do has been a long-term strategy. Everything they do is, what's this going to bring us in six or seven years' time? And Well, you have companies in Japan that would do it. Here's our 50-year vision, you know. And yeah. I remember my old boss, Dr. Bose, uh, uh, Bose and while at an American company, it was, it was a private company. And he said, if I were the CEO of a public company, I'd have been fired five times over the last 25 years just for this project because it's a 25-year project. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And it's, it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, speaking of long-term projects, I think this whole semiconductor thing is, you know, it falls in the same category. Everything takes, everything takes time. Nobody's going to be able to fix anything in the next in the next quarter and what's curious to me about it is i'm supply chain used to be something that we talked about at ipc we talked about in the supply chain publications now it's all over forbes it's all over the wall street journal it's it's in bloomberg it's everywhere so it's become yeah the most important topic exactly and so you mentioned semiconductors but you've also got uh, you know the entire so you've got a new administration here in the us uh, with the biden administration and what was it, uh, like the end of February, kicked off these 90-day reviews of semiconductor supply chain, uh, as well yeah. as other, you know, uh, uh, critical uh, supply chain areas that focus. And, and IPC has been strongly involved in those activities. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's nice that they're saying they're interested in the um, uh, supply chain and the electric, specific electronics manufacturing, but uh, we've been you know, submitting comments and, and leveraging industry uh, to, to respond to those. But we found it, it a little frustrating in that some of these uh, very future things actually never even talk about the word electronics in them. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're working to try to help them understand that it's an entire ecosystem. Uh, and, and we're starting to see this kind of vocabulary uh, work into, you know, uh, come out. But before it was just Semiconductors, 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 which is important. Yeah, but, uh, you can't uh, build, uh, you know, uh, an iPhone or a Samsung device without them. But you also can't build it without all the other pieces either. Yeah, absolutely. So whether it's the printed circuit boards or whatever else, you know, there are supply chain constraints in all those different areas. Yeah. What I'm really interested in there, when you talk about that, John, is the whole idea of government support, government interest, and government incentives and how that's directed. And I, I kind of looked at the post-pandemic recovery and the amount of government money, just, not just from the US, but everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. pushing around. It should be huge and it should, 
it should be a really interesting opportunity. And you talk about the US, um, it should be a really interesting opportunity to bring the US sure. up to speed in terms of, of digital transformation. Do you see those incentives being well-placed? Do you see a lack of understanding as to where they're needed? Because everybody wants the same thing. They want sustainable, well-paid manufacturing jobs. Right. But it's how to get there. Yeah, so um, we haven't seen a lot of money actually flow out yet. It's all a lot Real of money. talking about it uh, and saying, yeah. oh, we're going to do this. And so they're, you know, it's a complicated industry. Uh, you know, yeah. It's not like, oh, well, we'll, uh, you know, put part X into part Y and it's done. It's yeah. this whole ecosystem is very complex. Even just the pieces that they are focused on, you know, it's it's pieces that they understand. You know, it's yeah. like, okay, I know how I know software does something because I have an app and I know semiconductors do something, but understanding all the rest of the pieces is complex. Yeah. So yeah. I've seen some uh, initiatives that are interesting and that uh, are hopefully will be helpful but others we're striving to create more awareness for frankly in uh you know truly globally uh you know we're, we're working as well in europe uh, as we are in uh, north america just trying to help because everybody if you're going to throw this kind of money as a government uh behind any initiative you want to make sure it's a strategic play for your region mm. as well and so you don't want to just say hey look we just threw a trillion dollars at something and congratulations now we have nothing to show for it yeah uh, so, so we're trying to help them get smarter about it and so we're seeing a lot of regional building up of capabilities uh but it's still you know it's it's regional to a point because you can't reproduce the entire you could it just be economically uh not really smart to yeah. provide the entire ecosystem so you've got to find ways to work with others and then pick your strategic pieces and make sure that you've uh, built those up. And if you come up with, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going on a little bit about this, no, but no, no. if you pick, say, say you pick semiconductors, which, you know, a lot of people are, but then say you can design the world's greatest semiconductor, but if you can't build it, you can't yeah. put it onto a board or you can't, you know, have the right, uh, you know, advanced uh, uh, substrates to attach to it so that you can actually utilize it. Then you're just handing it over to what you view as your comp competition to do that for you. And where's your advantage then? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that for me, that's a lot of the goal. It's, and I look at the problems that there are in the supply chain side of the industry at the moment. And, you know, there's a huge issue. We talked about the shortage of everything, but there's just a sheer shortage of container ships and, and, um, and shipping capacity as well, which is causing you know, causing causing some major problem. And for me, the solution has to be much shorter supply chains. And that means having great supply chain infrastructure as close to you as possible. Just before we wrap up on the incentive side of things, I think um, having spoken to quite a lot of CEOs over the last year about this kind of topic, when they look at government incentives, their feedback has pretty much been two things let's make sure all the all the infrastructure we need is in place so you know power high speed internet that kind of simple stuff um and Water. the second thing is yeah <laughs> and the second thing is give us the money we know how to spend it you really you really don't and then um, you know whether it's tax breaks or what it is they'd much rather just be told you know here's here's 
here's the incentive you've got go and do your own digital transformation because they're all in different places on their journey and and some of those incentives are possible um, but I don't see as much talk about them. And so that's where IPC has been trying to come in to try to bring the industry together to say, okay, if it's gonna be a, a, a pot, let's make sure it's an industry directed pot uh, as opposed mm -hmm. to a government directed pot that you know is maybe informed by only part of the uh, ecosystem. So we're working yeah. to pull influencers you know, together across the globe. Yeah, and you, you mentioned across the globe, you work um, you work plenty in Europe. There's lots going on there. What about the activity of governments over there? Do you see a difference? Do you see things well, happening it, maybe yeah, a bit so, quicker? Or? So it's interesting. So there's different. Is it different? Yes. Um, so if I could try to capture the difference, you know, a, there's been a lot, and I, and I think we may talk a little bit about um, the topic of ESG. Hmm. If you look at the U.S. approach to ESG, they're more concerned about the S side of ESG yeah. than say the other two. G is kind yeah. of in place. We're not yeah. too worried about the G. Um, whereas Europe is very focused on the E side of, of, of that. Yeah. They kind of have the S and G in place. Yeah. Uh, so, so they're just the way they approach the problem is different. Um, uh, and as you mentioned before, typically you'll see in Europe and, and especially in Asia, a much longer view taken uh, for these kind of strategic initiatives. Yeah, they want results in five years, but here in, in, the, in North America, especially in the US, you have such a short political cycle. You know, mm. it's, we've got, an, we've got a, a Biden administration here for, uh, you know, another three and a half years. And then what? Yeah. I don't know. And so there isn't a North America, here's your 10-year strategy, because we don't know what party's going to change it when they come into power. Yeah. Yeah. And that hurts, doesn't it? There's no doubt that hurts. And you look at, you know, certain um, certain geographies that the US competes with that, that don't have a four-year election cycle and can create a plan that's that's pretty long term and we'll stick to it. And, and that's attractive. That makes a it's attractive to businesses. Uh, uncertainty yeah. is just the the, bane the enemy, business, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's face it, John. We've had enough uncertainty over the last uh, few years. Sure. You know, we had the trade war. We had the um, had and have the pandemic, and we've now got this big component issue that's going to going to roll for a while. You mentioned ESG. That's kind of a big deal not just for government incentives and where they can put money there, because actually I think they've got, you know, opportunities there to, you know, do some great work in, in terms of accessibility and diversity and all kinds of different things. But also I'm seeing it more and more in terms of the way companies are looking at acquisitions, uh, oh, investment sure. funds are looking at startups. Investment the ESG component has become providing some sort of ESG data on an investment. You know, you might as well just say, I'm going to be a second tier um, yeah. because uh, it, it's all changed on that front. And, and as, as you may know, uh, we announced at uh, Apex this year, you know, an IPC initiative on, for electronics and ESG. Mm -hmm. so we have a working group that's uh, made up of leading electronics manufacturers. They're actually meeting now every other week. So this is a pressing wow. issue. Um, and, you know, they're trying to solve the, the real issues for the electronics industry on this. And, and one of the more pressing issues is a lot of these companies are just being overwhelmed by reporting requirements from both government mm -hmm. as well as customers. And they're all different. So we're trying to get some harmonization for the electronics industry on that front. Um, 
But they're also talking about longer term issues in terms of you know eco design and data collection practices across the supply chain. So we're hopeful that some good things will come out of that as well. Yeah, and I see I see all these different factors somehow pulling together, and you know right. ESG should be one of the beneficiaries. And you know, yeah, we and then we'll about... use the data digitalization to help yeah. collect that data, you know, and yeah. as we go forward. So yeah, it, it is all. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and and make it less of a burden, and make it part of the you know standard process within a company. And if reshoring or regionalization becomes a key part of what we're seeing as a shift in the supply chain, potentially a sustainability benefit there with with shorter supply chains. You know, we look at supply chains that are having problems at the moment. Some of that is because those supply chains have become very 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 global and very dependent on certain geographies and you see stuff being shipped backwards and forwards and from all kinds of different directions and that has a you know has a, has a huge environmental impact so yeah i think there's i think there's an awareness and it's really interesting that you say that your your working group is meeting is meeting bi-weekly what are they expecting as an as an output is it is it some kind of guidance document or so that's part of what we're, we initially proposed, you know, maybe a, a guideline that says, here's how we can work and maybe we can collect some of these surveys and say, here's the standard types of things you would respond or here's the ways, you know, that these questions can be thought about, uh, that sort of thing. They may still do that, but we're really, you know, like everything we do, it's really up to the industry. So that's why we've got them together to help us decide. We're not trying to dictate, here's what you need to do. We're saying, here's an idea. Now you tell us what we need to do, uh, and that that affects you know everything from how we do our standards because IPC doesn't write standards; we shepherd that process. Hmm. You know, to our education, which you know we don't launch an education program until it's been developed and vetted, and it, it takes a long time to get the industry to really go through all of that and and understand it. So, and that's, but that's the importance of doing it that way as opposed to saying. Hmm. Hey, look at me! I've got a certification program. Yeah, why don't you sign up? And it's like, well, yeah. who came up with this? How have you vetted this with the industry? You know, yeah. And does it make sense? Absolutely. You know, it's fascinating, John. I like to um, when I when I spend time with CEOs, particularly groups of CEOs, I, I kind of like to do some of that blue sky vision stuff and put them in the position of, hey, here's a hundred million dollars build yourself a, a, an EMS factory that has all these ESG things, that has all these digital transformation things. Um, and they're all excited about that idea. And then you move to the debate of, well, can you do that in your existing organization? And there's just so much legacy to deal with. You know, there's so much, we've got infrastructure that works this way because we acquired it here or we did this or we built it. 40 years ago or whatever. So change takes time, doesn't it? It does. And, and that's the advantage of these, uh, you know, when you have a new entry or a new region comes to start playing in, in an, what I would just say a, a more mature industry, mm. they can buy all the latest, greatest stuff because there's yeah. zero. And, yeah. uh, and it's really hard to, to kind of leapfrog that. So you, you have to have that as part of your business strategy or you'll be left behind eventually. Uh, yeah. And that's where I think, you know, uh, that long-term view has to be, okay, great. In order to be leading in 15 years, what plant do we need to start building? What capabilities do we need to make sure we have now? Uh, yeah, yeah. 
And John, you mentioned you mentioned education programs there, and I know that's a huge passion of yours. And I know the the whole STEM thing and the whole getting young people into the industry is a passion of yours. I'm curious how you think that's going, and whether you think when you're talking to people, there's a generational change. When you talk to people that you know are maybe younger than us, that see these Sadly, ESG. a lot of people are younger than us now. There's I, a I lot of those, aren't there? Uh, apparently, the vast majority. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you see? Do you see a change in the way in the way they're thinking and the change in their in their priorities? It's not just about quarterly results. It's about what oh, you can do as a business. It is very, very much about in the younger generation making sure that whatever company they're working for is about making a difference. Mm. And, and that difference can take different forms. You know, you don't all have to be, you know, solving, you know, uh, you know, cancer, you know, oh, this has to cure cancer for, or, or, you know, whatever, you know, or COVID or, or whatever it may be. But uh, it has to be doing something. It has mm. to be moving the bar forward in, you know, the environmental structure or the social structure or, you know, all of these things. So that, that's where that ESG piece comes over. It's not just the investors. It's the younger uh, generations that are, mm. I mean, frankly, they said by, it was, it's, I think it's 2025, which is just a couple of years away, over 50% of all the directors in the world, uh, director level and below management will be um uh gen x's or not yeah. gen x, sorry um, um uh, uh millennials yeah wow. so if we don't pay attention to what their desires are because they're also dictating what the products need to be and not only what they need to be but how they're made and yeah. so we need to pay attention to that uh and uh and, and frankly it was great at uh like i said we're we're doing summercom right now we have a lot of younger people involved in standards which is fantastic Hmm. it's just great to see them getting engaged. And uh, yeah. so, so finding those people that are interested and then making it interesting for them as well. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody has these hiring issues. I mean, we've had them for years. This is not a new problem, yeah. but um, if you don't come up with, you know, the right offering for why people ought to come join you, you won't find any people. Right now, it's it's a job hunter's game. It's not a job mm. offerer's game. Uh, yeah. So there's no, I absolutely, I absolutely agree there. And it's really interesting. You know, we talked about ESG and the reasons to do it. Recruiting is one of them. You know, people aren't going to join companies that aren't like that. But you mentioned that, you know, 50% of the world's directors will be, will be millennials. What percentage of the world's consumers? you know, right. a much bigger number. And that's, that's equally important. And people are, people care more and more about about those issues. And I thought, initially, when we saw the challenges of COVID, that that would kind of take over and, you know, all these ESG issues would cease to be important. But that's absolutely not the case now. It doesn't ebb and flow with the with the other activities of the industry and people think, oh, you know, everything's chickety-boo, we can um, focus a bit on the environment. It's it's constant. And it, you know, it's not just because they're coming through and doing it, it's because they're right, John, and perhaps our generation were wrong. Yeah. You know, it's pretty harsh reality, but I, you know, I'm not sure we did a great job on that. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. You asked another question, which was how, how effective are, are we, what, how effective are we being in terms of, uh, you know, engaging the energy? So the standards activity is, is one kind of barometer on that. Um, we've been really pleased with, we have this, um, uh, uh, emerging engineers program where we partner uh, newer uh, folk with uh, more experienced folk. And uh, we started it off, I think, five years ago. And uh, we had, I think, three people that did it. And then the next year we had maybe four or five. Uh, last year we had over 50. And so it's just, it's accelerating yeah. beautifully. We've launched a, a ton of new training programs to try to engage people in a much more modern fashion as well. Mm -hmm. So you know, leveraging all of your um, uh, multimodal uh, learning methods yeah. so that uh, you can retain the information as opposed to just having somebody, uh, you know, uh, go through death by PowerPoint. Yeah, yeah, the whole chalk and talk thing is uh, is kind of a bit in the past and people are getting used to these new new learning tools now as well. So I think having that on demand stuff. Before we wrap up, John, because you and I could talk about the industry. Yeah, yeah, forever. Um, and I don't know if people want to listen all day. Uh, I just wanted to touch on a couple of um, specific yeah. IPC things. Um, one I saw recently on EMS Now that you're doing a joint survey on the North American market. Love that idea. I think having solid data is really, um, really interesting. So a great initiative. Tell me kind of what the motivation for IPC is there. So uh, many of our products are geared toward the EMS industry. You know, you've mm. got 001, 610, uh, a lot of major certification programs, the new EAO uh, workforce training program. And so uh, it, it's our goal to really completely understand this industry. And so we said, you know, let, let's really get into, if you will, you know, everybody's business and start to really understand it so we can do things to help them even more. I mean, back, you know, rewind, you know, 30 years ago, 610001 were a big deal. And mm. they're still a big deal today, but they're kind of adopted. What are the new big deals that uh, for mm. the EMS industry that we need to be part of? We think we have some ideas about that, but that's where this survey comes out. Again, yeah. we're, we're uh, industry directed. And so we really want yeah. to make it investors. Yeah, voice of customers, huge. And, and last question, we mentioned just before we before we came on air that travel arrangements are constantly changing. I'm in Australia where travel is really challenging and has been for some time. We can't actually, well, I was going to say we can't get out of the state. We're actually restricted to five kilometers from our homes at the moment. Um, so we were in kind of the sharpest lockdown ever, um, hoping that'll be fixed by vaccines and we'll be we'll be traveling by mid-November, which will mean I can get to Apex. We'd love to have you. How do you manage that whole process of having a trade show, not, not really being absolutely clear on what's, on what's going to be happening? Yeah, so it's a challenge for sure. Um, but we're, so we're excited. A lot of people are uh, expressing their uh, belief that it's going to happen. We have uh, already over 300 exhibitors that have signed up. Uh, they're ex excited about exhibiting participating and interest is strong but they're also a little you know they've, they've got some apprehension yeah. because we just don't know where things will go uh the trade center or the the uh, the san diego um uh, convention center uh did announce that they're requiring proof of vaccination uh so obviously we'll be uh you know going along with that as well and so mm. we're doing what we can while we you know as i mentioned we're we're in the middle of summer come right now and so 
we're still having some events. There's some going, uh, there's a, uh, uh, what is it, um, uh, an HSC, a hand soldering championship going on in France and Estonia next week. So we're, we are still doing some things. It's just they're being managed very, very carefully because mm -hmm. literally the guidance changes day by day. Uh, so we don't want anybody to be unsafe, but it looks like we can hold, at least right now, it looks like we can hold this event safely and mm. uh, looking forward to doing. Yeah, and I think that makes perfect sense. And I think um, for international visitors like myself, I think having guidance on that from you guys and keeping bang up to date on that. And you mentioned the uh, requirement for a vaccine certificate. I think for international visitors, we're going to need to know which vaccines that means, because I know when I've spoken to um, people at, for US events before, and this is the case for CES, it's vaccines that are approved by the, by the uh, FDA, um, and they might be different to the vaccines that are approved by the TGA here or in, you know, in Europe. Yeah, that'll, be a little, that'll be a little tricky, but we're, and, and it's too early to state what the, what that will be. Absolutely. As we get close, hopefully. And, you know, what, what does it mean to be fully vaccinated is, is an ever evolving question. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. Yeah. I was speaking to someone in Israel yesterday and they were saying there's a high percentage and they, that are, that are triple dose there. Um, so I've had the two doses and I've already had a booster and that's, you know, that's one of their identifications for. for Let me mention one other thing on, on IPC Apex Expo just before we uh, sign off here, but we're excited also because there's, a, we're doing a joint event there with uh, Altium in terms of uh, the okay. design conference. And so IPC has been, you know, uh, you know, back in 17 and 18, we were talking to a lot of design companies and trying to understand what they needed there. And so we're launching a ton of new uh, design programs for every level from entry all the way up mm -hmm. to your designers and this is also part of that with uh working with uh you know combining the event with ltm's uh, design uh, event as well so we're excited i think that's yeah i think that's fabulous you know you've got to combine as much of the value chain as you can that's really important i mean the last thing on apex i would ask is 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 there a is there a hybrid offering so if i if I can't get there for whatever reason, am I going to be able to watch your awesome keynote, John, over uh, over Zoom or something similar? So, so there may be a couple. It won't be the entire thing, um, mm. but uh, depending on the circumstance, if we need to, there will be key pieces that we'll make available um, either live or very soon. Yeah, yeah, I think that'll be fantastic. And you've got to be dynamic. You know, if there's one thing we've learned over the last um, the last year or so, it's it's plan and then. And then remain adaptable, and that's 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 not just for a show. That's a whole business strategy there. Exactly. Yeah, John. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute joy to chat to you again. Um, look forward to doing it again, and look forward to doing it in person in January in San Diego. Thanks, Thanks. so much.